0: everything is up and running here. Hopefully, everybody can hear me okay. Let's see. Where are we? All uh, right. We're in the library today. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, everyone who is has stopped by already. I see we've already got some people here. Uh, thank you all for tuning in for what is episode two of my live Dungeons & Dragons uh, storytelling stream. I'm excited to get back into it and uh, kind of show you... What I, what I feel is really getting into kind of the, the meat of the story, especially with the characters that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, they really become the driving force for the vast majority of our story. Um, I'm going to give it a, a few minutes, because I know a couple of people might be running late, so I'm going to give a few minutes for people to chime in, um, and then we're going to talk about a little bit about the world first. Um, I gave right at the end of episode one, I kind of talked of what the world Looked like now and what had happened. Uh, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail. I'm also going to talk a little bit more about the Pantheon, uh, which is the group of gods that exist within my world um, and how they uh, affect things. Uh, And hello, James. My day was pretty good today. I uh, spent a big chunk of it working on some Minecraft stuff, uh, working on, let's see, getting this ready. I've got it set up now where a lot of the characters we're going to talk about today, I'm actually going to have pictures going to be popping up on screen uh, stream, Um, not for all of them, but for the majority of them, at least the main characters, anyways. I'm also going to go back and show a a couple pictures of some of the characters we talked about in episode one, because for some of them, their story's not over yet, Uh, so we may see some of them again. Not all of them, but some of them. Um, But the day went well. We got work on that. Um, I have pictures that are going to pop up on stream, uh, but if you they're not on there long enough, or you'd like to see them a little bit better. I do have a page on my website, uh, onlydraven.com. Uh, if you go there now, there'll be a tab at the top that says characters. If you go there, uh, you'll see at least a photo, at least one photo for each character. I'm probably going to edit it a bit better in the future um, to have a bit better quality of photos. Uh, but for at least right now, if you wanted to reference some of the characters, um, you know, as you're watching the video or such, or listening to the story, you'll be able to do that. Um, but the day went well. Um, overall, uh, it's been a pretty good weekend so far. Today's my first day off. Tomorrow's day number two. Got to do a little Christmas shopping. Um, but other than that, not too bad. Took a nap. You know you're getting old when you start taking naps. Hello, Syntheria. Welcome, welcome. Hey, love love it when you guys use this. Syntheria is my most recent member. She uh, joined up. James is another one that has a membership on the page. So before we get into that, uh, memberships are something that you can click the join button on my YouTube page. Um, memberships give you different perks on the different streams as well as uh, just in general. Uh, and I'm always looking to add additional perks to those. I'm not going to have Additional more expensive levels. I'm just gonna. Anytime I come up with a new perk, I'm just gonna add it to the membership that I've already got. Uh, but the monthly membership gives you a loyalty badge next to your name and chat, um, access to emojis specifically designed for us. Um, I have the next one a couple I'm gonna have are gonna be uh, emojis based a little bit more on the D and D side. So we'll have that um, as well as access to uh, members only Discord, where I'm gonna open up a channel on that probably tomorrow uh, for D and D questions and stuff specifically. Uh, with that said, I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Um, so, when we left off last episode, uh, two weeks ago, um, I'd explained what had happened. Uh, basically, what, what I called the merge. That's why it's called Merge Worlds. <laughs> uh, but what happened is that, of course, um, in one brief millisecond, everything in the universe exploded and then came back together to form, um, at least where we're talking about, one new massive world. Um, are there other worlds out there? Where all the rest of the world's destroyed? It's part of the story, what we're going to have to find out. Um, but for the characters in the story, at least for the time being, uh, we're dealing specifically with this world. And Merge Worlds is literally grabbing a chunk of every planet from existence and then thrusting them together. Um, and where normal, I guess you could say, environmental law would exist is... Uh, not in my world. Uh so again, if you have a good way to explain that would be um Minecraft. If you have a snow biome, if you have like a uh like a winter northern area on one world, say Hoth from Star Wars, and then you it's right ends up right next to a chunk of what was a desert, you would expect in the middle to there to be a swamp. You know, where the hot and the cold mixes and then some of the snow melts and so on. Um, It's not like that on Merge World. On Merge World everything stays a dividing line. It's like each one has its own essence of where it originally came from. Um, and while they're all combined, you know, into form one world, they're still individual pockets. And in some of these things, that can change how the world, even reality, works in that specific zone or area. Um, and there's no rhyme or reason to where the zones are placed or their sizes. You may go in and you may find two houses from a village and then in one spot you could see an entire Country came through. So as to what size of land comes through, um, and sometimes it grabs multiple chunks from the same location. So you may see what were neighboring cities now on the other side of the world from each other, or half of each of those cities crammed together to form one new one. I did this for a couple of reasons. From a storytelling standpoint, I wanted to be able to access a lot of the different types of character classes and characters and storylines from different worlds. Um, Being a huge fan of uh, the original TSR stuff and then Wizards of the Coast and the novels, I loved Dragonlance and I liked Forgotten Realms and Dark Sun and I wanted to be able to throw that together. And a lot of those worlds had very specific rules about how magics and classes and races worked. And I like them, but I wanted to see a mixing of that. So by allowing different worlds to collide, um, and if I had to pick a song to represent merge worlds, it'd be Worlds Collide. Um, but it's uh, it allows me to say, okay, well, this person from this world means this person. They didn't know that skill or ability. Say they come from a world where there's psionics, and this world doesn't. Somebody, oh, wow, there's psionics now. I can start to learn, use psionics. Magic may work differently. Maybe a world where there's no magic at all. Um, it's a lot of different ways to look at that. Um, But, again, in my reality of Merge Worlds universe, all of the worlds were still governed by the same group of gods, the same pantheon. Um, The universe as a whole was created by them, and in many ways each world was its own little, I guess you could say, experiment. Maybe not every race is there. Maybe they allowed magic to work differently, or skills, or just nature in general. It was a way for them to run different experiments and to see, you know, you know, play with the, with mankind, which is unfortunately the the folly of all gods, the curiosity to play with those lesser than themselves, and how does that work when one day those lesser band together to overthrow those higher? So um, we're going to see a lot of that type of thing as Merge Worlds goes on. Um, but I'm going to start today by talking about the pantheon of the gods uh, because the gods are very important to my story uh, and to the world in general. Um, and while a lot of my skills and classes are based very much on the second edition Dungeons & Dragons. I have customized a lot of that, making my own homebrew stuff to make my world work. Uh, But the gods and clerics in general work very much the same. So um, I'm going to start with the gods of good. Uh, So good, neutral, and evil is a very common concept in Dungeons & Dragons and in just many fantasy stories itself. Sometimes just good and evil, but I like neutrality in there as well. Um, So I have a very classic array of gods, um, and some maybe why is this God good or why is this evil um, good evil neutrality is a classification but that doesn't necessarily mean what good or evil could completely be because um, I like to think that a good person could still respect or even worship an evil God because they appreciate what some things represent um, or vice versa you could be an evil person but still you know worship the light you know you whatever reason. Oh, we got a notification. (laughs) We have a new member. Thank you very much, Scott. I appreciate you joining the ODG membership. Uh, At the end of this video, if you'll give it about 10 minutes, once this is posted, um, I will put a link in the members-only section of the community tab uh, on my YouTube channel, and you'll be able to get the link into the uh, ODG members-only Discord, where you can kind of chat with me and the other members at any given time. It's a great little thing to have to kind of hang out. We share pictures and, and a lot of different stuff. So thank you very much for joining. I appreciate that. <laughs> now, for those of you who may not know this, uh, Scott is one of my oldest friends and uh, was also the uh, man who played Rafe Firemoon from the original story. He gave all of the uh, emotional side to him. He was, he was uh, my, one of my first big uh, long-term PCs. So I appreciate Scott jumping in. So, uh, talking about the gods, we're going to start with the gods of good. So, each god usually has, or each each pantheon has kind of like a head god, and then so on and so forth. Although many of them view them as, as, uh, I guess you say, equals. um, There's always one that's kind of a leader. So, gods of good, the uh, goddess of the light is named Minara. So, Minara is the goddess of the light, she's kind of the head of the gods, um, and she is... Worshiper of the Light. I mean, that's pretty much simple. So, uh, holiness, anti-undead, anti-darkness, so on and so forth. Um, Next is Tavian, God of Life. Uh, Tavian, the God of Life, he's going to be the one who's going to be your clerics of healing. Um, Also, being life, very directly opposed to death. Of course, your gods of death. So, um, very anti-there. Next is Saoirse, Goddess of Nature. Um, One of the main elven gods, as well as Um, you know, four sprites, so on and so forth Uh, sometimes the Kender would worship them half elves, um, but even even more so, it's going to be uh, the druids it's a big druid and ranger type kind of god Uh, next is Zorn god of truth Um, god of truth very often is going to be your uh, paladin god Uh, so truth, justice, honor a lot of those there Um, so again, even a very neutral evil person may worship that god specifically uh, the next one is Malachi. I'm oh, sorry, Maleka. I said that wrong. Uh, and that's the goddess of the feast and harvest. Um, another very popular elven god, uh, as well as the, uh, one of the big ones of the Kender, for sure. Um, at least in my world. I like Kender, so uh, they're probably one of my favorite things out of Dragonlance. So you're going to see Kender pop up quite a bit in the story. Um, after that is Leiliana, which is the goddess of song, beauty, and art. Which, again, uh, for artists, musicians... Um, your bard god, uh, that's that's definitely going to be a big one there. Um, I have symbols and other more information on the gods, but um, I can answer those as somebody actually wants to know. I'm not going to throw all that here into the story today. Uh, but if you do have questions about anything, feel free to throw it out. Um, then we have the gods of neutrality. Uh, Mavael is the god of knowledge. That's the head the head of, of the neutral gods. Uh, so Mavael uh, does a lot of stuff there. Uh, Cynthia, very Scott was involved with the story playing out originally. <laughs> yeah, Scott. Big part. Um... Next is Coram, God of War. Uh, I find war to be a very neutral thing. A lot of times war can show up on the evil spectrum, but um, war isn't always bad. Sometimes war to free others and such. Again, at that point, it's a very point of view-ish. I'm not trying to get all on everybody there, but that, in my world, it's a neutral god. Next is Lestorian, uh, which is the god of business and trade. Uh, so Lestorian, you're going to find him a lot um, involved with uh, the different businesses and uh, merchants' guilds and such. Uh, Kiera, goddess of time. Um, the time goddess is very um, important to the story. She's going to pop up more so than a lot of the other gods um, and we'll f- later on in the story. Uh, but she's very cool, and she exists within the sands of time, uh, which is a concept I'll go into more in detail when we get to it, because I don't want to blow- throw off anything in the story, but it's, uh, it's something I'm really happy with how her stuff works. Um, after that is Thorin, god of the mountains. Uh, so very often this is your god of those that dwell, um, not just in mountains, but under Earth as well. Uh, so you've got your dark, your, your deep gnomes, um, your deep dwarves, dwarves just in general. That's a big dwarven god. Um, let's see. Next is Protovarius, which is the god of worms, um, and that is the uh, dragon god, for all intents and purposes. Uh, of all alignments across all spectrums, uh, he is the god of all dragons. Um, and then the last one is Delovian, which is the god of magic. Um, while neutral, still very powerful. Right up there with Mavael himself. Because uh, god of magic, he is, he is the one who that regulates and controls magic. The mage god, if you will. Uh, so very often you're not going to find a cleric of maviel Because for all intents and purposes, that's almost what a mage is. And then last we have the gods of evil. Uh, Elezon is the god of darkness. Um, so he is, you know, about control and ruling and so on and so forth, uh, directly opposed to the goddess of light. Um, after that is Helana, which is the goddess of death. Um, again, death is not always evil, but most of the uh, your clerics who worship death, necromancy, um, all that's going to be under Helana. Next is Aquatius, god of the sea, uh, because the sea is a dark mistress, even though in this one it's a dude, uh, but... I've always viewed the sea or the oceans in general as a very unforgiving place. And if you are not pleasing the god of the sea and he looks unfavorable upon you, you're not in for a good voyage. Uh, so Aquatius falls under the uh, the evil gods. But again, even positive races that live under the ocean, because um, they're sea elves and things of that nature, could very well go under Aquarius. Uh Next is Pandora, goddess of deception. Um, another important one to... Merge the story that we're going to get into, uh, probably not today, but very, very soon. Um, but yeah, it's uh, Pandora is, is very, very big in the story. Um, she's also the cat goddess. And I'll be honest, just as an interesting side note, I had a cat for many years named Pandora, who's the inspiration for that character. Uh, next is Sherik, uh, which is the god of famine and disease. Um A lot of people have asked, how come that doesn't fall under the god of death? Because in in my world, um, Sherrick, not only is it famine and disease, he's the god of suffering. Um, He doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want the suffering to end. He wants to control you through pain and suffering. That's what gives him his strength, and his followers uh, followers revel in that. Uh, So his clerics would be spreading famine and disease and desolation uh, where they go. Uh, A lot of times in secret, um, and sometimes not so much in secret, sometimes very open in the open, but um, it's very... Uh, interesting the way I've got him working out, so we'll see him pop up a little bit later. And the last one is Jadenon, which is the god of chance and greed. Uh, so this is the gambler's god. So again, you don't have to be evil specifically uh, to ask Jadenon to look down upon you, but if you're gambling and you betting and that kind of thing, uh, greed, all of that falls underneath. Now some of these gods have specific connections, like uh, some of the gods could be technically husband, wife, mother, and son. Uh, like, I'll just give an example. Um, Menara, goddess of light, is a sibling with Mavael and Ellison. So the head three gods are siblings. Um, Tavian, uh, which was the... Me give you specific here. The god of life is her consort, if you will. And she's also the mother of Saoirse, who is the goddess of nature. So there's very uh, familial um, relationships with the gods. Uh, so even though light and darkness are opposed, and then uh, god of knowledge in the middle, they're siblings. So that's why they're kind of viewed as the head and as equals. So that's kind of the pantheon of gods. Um, we can, we'll get more into specifics on them as they pop up in the story. Uh, the only other really somewhat godlike creature we talk about is, of course, Zoltan, who we talked about in the last one. Uh, Zoltan is a demigod. He's one of the Watchers. Um, and he's the one who was uh, given the job of watching the magical artifacts... And uh, occasionally did not do a good job with that. And so he's the one who gets our characters and Rafe and Fire Nylat to try to get them back and such. So before we move into the direct story for today, I am going to just give a quick flashback on what we talked about last time. Rafe and Nilat were brothers, became uh, relative enemies at the end. Uh, Nylad, of course, went dark and was trying to destroy the artifacts and use their magic to become a god. It was the disruption of that spell by Rafe, uh, willing to sacrifice his own life to stop his brother, that caused the entire merge to happen. The, the magic encased in those artifacts were so exorbitantly intense that it caused the merge to happen. Also known as the Great Merge, the merging and the merging of worlds. Um, as this is a massive world, the merge ends up becoming the nickname for it eventually over everywhere, but in the beginning, people can call it different stuff depending on where you are, because no one quite knows why it happened. Although, definitely the uh, scholars, the wizards, the clerics, a lot of people are trying to figure it out. Um, but I'm going to start by showing a couple of real quick pictures and, and touching back on those characters. So uh, the first one we talked about was Rafe Firemoon. Um, Rafe Firemoon is kind of the prime hero of the uh, entire original story. Um, and Rafe for... This is, again, this is how I've pictured these characters. So some of them, since I... Were created by others they had a hand in it, but, um, I always imagined Rafe, um, as Thomas Jane, um, and armor style, except sometimes longer hair, sometimes short, depending on, on where he is in the story, um, but Rafe, uh, this is kind of how I pictured him looking, obviously not at the very beginning, but after several years gone by, and he became rugged, and he was more of a king, uh, that's definitely how I pictured Rafe looking, uh, with a very, he's a very you know, good king, but he's also can be very serious about, he's, he's all about helping people. Um, so, again, I, I need to preface this that all photographs are taken online and all the art you see has been taken from different pages and stuff I found on the internet. I do not own any of these arts. I'm not selling them. I'm not trying to profit off them. Uh, they're just things I used as references to help give people the right mental image, so we were all kind of seeing the same thing when I'm talking about a character. Uh, so, after Rafe... Let's get rid of those. After Rafe, of course, we have his brother Nilat. Now, Nylat, of course, I've always imagined as a young Christian Bale. Um, This photo I have here is kind of the one that I like. Uh, I found it earlier ago. It's before, of course, he got all jacked up for Batman. Um, Or in between. Lord knows that dude changes his shape all the time. Uh, But Nylat uh, is always, like I said, he's thin, he was muscular, but he was very much a warrior rogue type kind of guy until he kind of moved into wild magic. Um, So that's how I've always imagined him. Um, now, Michelle, that was Rafe's fiance, the one that Nilat kidnapped uh, and who Rafe was chasing all around the world to try to get her back. Uh, Nilat was kind of using her as a pawn to keep Rafe at bay so he didn't have to kill his brother because he still loves his brother. Uh, but that's the actress that I've always used for that. Uh, I can't remember her name. I apologize. A lot of these ones, I knew it when I first chose them, but uh, I liked her. She was in Constantine and such, and um, I'm a big fan of her acting, uh, and she's very much what I pictured as Michelle. Um, we also talked about... I have a... Oh! Thank you. Thank you very much, Cat King 399 Thank you very much for subscribing. I appreciate that. Um, I have... You know, I mentioned several other different uh, characters, like Tabork. I don't have an actual good picture for Tabork, Um the only real good minotaur picture we're going to see a little bit later today. Uh, I need to find some better ones. I really need to get someone to draw some just custom art for each character that I can say this is them. Yeah, I, I'll work on that here in the future. Uh, but one of them I mentioned was Smalsius early, a very small human uh, who was a very he was a very knife wielding rogue. Uh, he's like a warrior rogue, um, but he was very adept at knives and he was very sneaky, sneaky. Um, and Smalzius, this is how I've always pictured him. Uh, he's kind of got that. Uh, I guess you'd say, uh, attitude, that, not not a, an evil attitude, but just a, a very full-of-himself kind of thing, um, but still kind of that noble look of him. And facial hair-wise, that's exactly how I picture him. So Ed Norton's who I've always used for smallsies. You just have to picture a dude who's under five feet. Like he's literally looks like a, almost a Kender. He's just human proportions. He's very small. Um, and then the only other one that I have um, is Thickaway Tricklebush, which was the Kender ally of Rafe Fireman. Uh, kind of hung out with his party. Um, Rafe, Kender I like a lot. I've mentioned it. you are going to see them pop up in several different locations throughout the story. Um, but I used Alan Tudyk um, because I, I think he has kind of that whimsical kind of attitude that can, yet can still be serious when he needs to be in, say, combat. So um, Alan Tudyk has very always been my imagine of what uh, Thickaway looks like. And Thickaway was actually one of my very first characters I ever created long before I even had me it's the one character that <laughs> managed to live and make it through everything. Um, but that's Thickaway. Okay, so those are just kind of touching on the characters we talked about last week. Um, but now we're actually going to get into the next part of the story. So where we left off, you know, the great merging, it happened. I explained it in a little bit detail. Um, it's a lot more information on the first episode. Um, I'm going to try not to go over stuff I've already gone over. Um, but... Where we're going to take up the story today, it's been close to six months since the Great Merge has happened. Um, The world is, of course, in turmoil. People don't know what's going on. People are waking up. Family's gone. Half their city's gone. Sometimes half their house is gone. You walk out of your bedroom, open the door, and suddenly there's a jungle, you know? Or, uh, you know, you come out of your desert hut and suddenly you're on the edge of an ocean that never existed before. Um, So there's just been a lot of stuff um, that have thrown people for a loop. And people have really fallen into one of three categories. There's the, oh, well, this is just what it is. I guess I'm going to have to live this way now. It's going to be a lot of your common folk, people who don't have wealth or or really don't have a thing. They're farmers. They wake up, okay, half my farm's here. I'm going to keep farming. Oh, there's a city there now. Well, that's a new customer for me. Um, Or the other way around. We're a city. Half my city's gone, but now there's this other city, there was no city before, now there's a city ten feet away, we're a Merchant's Guild, now we need to move into there. So uh, a lot of people just began rebuilding their lives without really knowing what happened. Um, always curious, of course, but just not in a position where they could really go out and do something about it. Um, then you have your second group, and that's the ones who are all about figuring out what happened. Uh, these are going to be your scholars, your mages, your clerics, your... Um, These are the folks that are out there trying to say, okay, what caused this through research, not so much through adventuring, but by trying to commune with the gods and so on. And then the last group are going to be what we fall into with our main characters. These are your adventurers. These are people who are like, okay, I don't know what happened. I don't know if my family's out there. I don't know if my home is out there. These are people who were not at their home when the merge happened. So they don't know if the people they cared about even exist on this world or how it happened, but they're determined to try to find a way back home, find clues that might lead them to their own kind or their own people, uh, while at the same time trying to traverse a new and very uncontrollable uh, world, a very uh, un, uh, reality that has been kind of sent askew um, and in running across races, creatures, and things they did not know existed because they weren't on their world. Um, so we're gonna start with our main characters for today. Um, Our main characters are a group of eight. I held up five fingers. A group of eight. Uh, The eight of them, um, just for how they became grouped together, is the same way I grouped them way back in the original story. After the merge happened, um, they just began to try to find out what was happening and find their way home. Ended up coming into a city. Um, A small city, but they needed to find... They needed to continue. Um, But again, many of them did not have wealth or stuff with them. All these people were alone. They didn't have really family uh, or anyone that was with them at the time so they're literally they feel stranded they don't know if there's anyone else from their world that even exists here um so what they're doing is you know they they said we have to take on work while well, we consider doing this and so they ended up all grouping in as um basically part of a caravan um a caravan between two cities uh, the one city's like okay we've been taking a caravan to this other city for years We do it twice a year, this is where we do our big trade. We don't know if the world, the city's there, but we have to go because that's half of how we've survived. Um, But with the world being as crazy as it is, we need more protection. Um, And these eight signed on as part of that. A, it helps get them from one place to another, um, and B, that gets a little bit of profit, and then some other security for themselves while they're traveling. Um, Through those small travels, they had a couple very small adventures. and of the different groups and people that were there, these eight kind of uh, found solace and almost a, a minor kinship with, the, uh, with each other. Um, so once they found out that the other city was there and they reached it, um, and they all had a very common goal, they all wanted to get home, um, they decided to kind of continue on together, uh, safety in numbers, because um, they learned that they could kind of trust each other in the few minor adventures that they had. And those, that was the same backstory I gave the characters when we very first began their original story. I told them just what I've told you. They didn't know anything else about it. Uh, They didn't even know the Firemoon story. They only knew what's happened since they woke up in this world. Um, So we're going to introduce our characters. And these are important because these are going to be our main characters for quite a while to come. There'll be a lot of other characters that join in, but these are going to be our primary. Uh, So I'm going to give a little bit about each one. Uh, The first one's name is Artemis Silverstar. And Artemis is an elven cleric of the God of Healing. Uh, so that's Tavian, um, and just just as a mental picture, if you're trying to figure out what Tavian looks like, and I didn't have a picture of this, I always pictured Tavian, the god of healing, as Hugh Laurie, I, really walking with a cane and everything. I could just picture the god of healing walking with a limp. Uh, I thought, just you know, he's a god of healing, but he's also snippy. Uh, so just a thing to throw out there. I don't have a picture for that one, but it's something that I, I like to imagine. Um, but uh, she is a she is a, a cleric of and so, of course, not only is she trying to find her way home like everybody else is, she's also trying to find out what's happened to the gods. And I'm going to talk about that in a second after we talk about all the characters. So, for Artemis, I have, uh, for mo- mo- most of these characters, I have an actor or actress that I have That I would use for the character, as well as a character art style that I found that's a little bit more of how they're dressed. So for Artemis, and I apologize, I forget some of these actual actors' names, I apologize. Um, So here's here's kind of what I've imagined Artemis. Artemis wears blue robes, the color of healing, uh, because Tavian, while also uh, the healing waters, is a very important metaphor for the healing waters of Tavian. Um, So not only that, they're also the ones that make all types of healing potions and things of that nature. They're the ones that that specify in that type of a magic. Um, Really, they're some of the only ones that do. Um, So if you need some type of special healing or a healing potion, healing scroll, you're going to go to Cleric's or Temple of Tavian to get that. Um, But Artemis... um, (laughs) <laughs> a spry young, several hundred years old, uh, was uh, on her way to another small temple in her homeland when the merge happened. Um, the, the she was kind of alone, but she was in a safe elven kind of countryside. So then she wakes up here, all on her own. But she's a little ba, so she's she's pretty cool. So that's Artemis, and next is Dandelion Nettleleaf. Dandelion is a female tender. And she's also our primary rogue. Uh, I do not know the name of this of this actress or model, uh, but she's exactly how I would picture a female Kender. Um, so Dandy... she goes by Dandy most of the time. Uh, Dandy is um, probably one of my favorite characters in the whole story because Kender is so much fun to play with. Um, but she's, of course... Kender, if you're not familiar with Kender, our... Um, very comical, they're very good-natured, they're very light-fingered, they are very good thieves, even though they don't realize they're doing it because they're good in nature. Um, they are good in nature. Um, but at the same time, they don't feel fear. They're immune to fear. So because of that, they do a lot of stupid things. Most people, fear and common sense would keep them out of, so Kender very often don't have a very long lifespan. Um, just because stupidity. But Dandy uh, was out wandering alone. Just Kender have a certain age where they feel a wanderlust, where they just have to go out and an adventure out in the world, and she was on her Wanderlust solo when the merge happened, um, kind of bumbled into these group, and uh, became a part of this team. So that's Dandy. Uh, and again, all, all the, the, at least the actor pictures, most of these are available on OnlyDraven.com, my website, if you did want to go and look at these characters, or these actors, again, as references for future videos. Um, next is Darsh Fohammer. So Darsh is the Minotaur. Uh, all black, uh, big dude, Uh, Comes from a family of uh, nautical merchants. They owned ships and such, um, and they traveled from their homeland and and so on and so forth. So very ship's captain. So Darsh, while also knowing a bit about business and things, he was more a, a, a seafarer than anything else. Not all Minotaur are, but his clan or his group of Minotaur from his world was. He was on land at the time for whatever reason when the merge happened. Wakes up nowhere near the water. No idea if anybody's there, so he's trying to find his way back as well. So, uh, this is purely an art picture I found of him. Uh, the only thing I would say is different is in this picture, Darsh has three fingers, whereas on my world, he still has the normal five. But for the way his horns look and his colors, uh, like a black to dark black to brown, um, that's exactly how I picture him. And when he wears armor, very much like that. Not wearing armor at the beginning, but, you know, down the road if he gets some. It's going to look like that. Um, he's also a, a big sword user as well, um, which I forgot to mention. Uh, Kender uses Hoopak, which is what Dandy uses, and Artemis uses a staff, and she actually has a bit of a whip as well. There's reasons for that. She doesn't use bladed weapons, being a, a cleric of healing. But that's Darsh, Darsh Fohammer, and he's big. He is like eight plus feet, so he towers over pretty much everybody else in the group. Uh, Darsh is very likely my all-time favorite character, and in many ways the central character of the second phase. Um, Next is going to be Fig, or Figgy, or Figalanthus. Fig is a gnome warrior. Now, Fig's story is a little bit different than everybody uh, is a little bit more fleshed out. Uh, Fig was just a regular gnome, um, while traveling with his parents as a very, very small child, barely a toddler, um, they were set upon by, I guess hobgoblins or orcs or something like that, who proceeded to basically torture the family and all the other gnomes when it was about to be his turn. They were about to, you know, he was about to die like the rest of them. A group of traveling dwarves happened to come along, saw what happened, jumped in, killed the, I think it was ogres, or, I think it was ogres, uh, killed them, ended up saving the little guy, um, but they didn't know any gnomes. The, the gnomes weren't from where they were around. They didn't know what else to do. So one of them took him in, um, and he ended up growing up with them, and he grew up like a dwarf. So while he's a gnome warrior, he acts very dwarven-like. Um, so I like Jason Statham because uh, Fig is also almost, he keeps his head shaved bald, uh, doesn't do much in body hair at all, and uh, a lot of times he's not wearing a shirt unless he has, you know, specific reasons to wear armor. Um but he's just... He uses a warhammer as his primary weapon. Uh, again, very Dwarven-like. So while he's a, while he's a gnome, he, he's a gnome who acts Dwarven, uh, which I like. Um, uh, it, was, it was a very cool concept that the uh, character who was playing with him came up with. Um, and he came up with that backstory, and I liked it a lot. So I, I was happy to work that into the story and becomes important later on. Uh, most people just call him Fig or Figgy. All right, so the next one is... Mercy Heriton. Now, Mercy is a female human warrior, and Mercy um, is the daughter of not a paladin, but let's say an order of knights. Um, Knights that are almost paladin-like, they just don't get into the magic side of it, but they're, they're, you know, protection, protecting those weaker than themselves, all about honor and nobility. Um, And so, even though she was born female... Didn't matter to the father. Females are just as fine as as males growing up in the knighthood. So she was trained to be a warrior just like her brothers were. Um, So Mercy, uh, can't remember her name, but that's the actress. That's Mercy. Although Mercy keeps it in shorthand and she uses a morning star as her primary weapon. Although she's versed in swords and axes and a bunch of other stuff, she's very versatile. But she prefers a morning star as her primary weapon. She likes to bonk things good, so um, Mercy is another one of our prime characters. I know I'm saying about a lot of these, but Mercy um, very quickly becomes very good friends with Artemis, and you'll see them kind of partner up a lot of it, just like um, Dandy and Darsh kind of almost have very quickly get like a big brother little sister friendship, even though he she barely comes up to past his knees. Um, He feels very protective of her, and and she kind of hero-worships him a little bit just because she'd never had really come across Minotaurs in her life before that um, and really kind of liked the way he acted. So he acts very protective of her. Uh, But Mercy is, like I said, very honorable, very noble. Um, She's not lawful good by any means. She'll crack a skull when she needs to, but um, she's very much into protecting those weaker than herself as well, Uh, which is something that her and Darsh bond over pretty well because they're very like-minded. In the honor and nobility sense, so Darsh and her get along very well. So that's Mercy. All right. Next is Shadow. Not much is known about Shadow, and that's that's, there's a reason for that. Shadow is an Elven ranger, Um, and oh, forgot to pull that up. So, as an Elven ranger, he has almost no backstory, and it's that's that way for a reason. Um, He's referred to himself as Shadow, Shadow Heart. Shadow Heart. One word is Shadow, and Heart a different word. But he, sometimes he's given his name as Shadow Heart in different situations. And when he gives that name, it's like it's very much like he's watching to see what your response is. Like he's, exp- are you going to do something by hearing that? And no one so far has based in the story. So um, Shadow, I have. That's kind of more what he looks like on the armor side. I do not know. Who that dude is or what that's from but that's exactly how i pictured him uh, except with slightly longer hair and of course elven ears maybe a little bit thinner in the face um but that is shadow and i don't go going into a lot of detail on the characters this time i want i'm doing it kind of now so that way in the future i don't have to you'll be more familiar with them um and we're getting close to done anyways um but i want you guys to really see who i'm who i'm going to be talking about moving forward so that's shadow um dual wields longswords, he's a ranger, so very much of the woods, um, nature and stuff um, he is very friendly with the uh, and protector of the next person I'm about to um, bring in, um, but Shadow is um, very, very quiet, keeps to himself stays in the shadow, when they're in cities he kind of blends in, he, he's not, he doesn't speak a lot, on le- but when he does it's important you know, He's. but he's very calculating he's a great woodsman so that's Shadow all right Second last one is going to be Willow or Willow Bane. Uh, Willow is an elven druid, and oh, let's get rid of that. And uh, this, she's very small in stature, um, but she's also an elf of the woods of nature. Um, so, her and Shadow get along very well, and Shadow is very protective of her. Um, so, very often. Um, wherever she is, you're going to find Shadow. He's usually not far away, um, and in not like in, in no way does it give off like a romantic interest, but more of a protector. Um, and even when questioned about it, he won't really say anything. But he's he's always having an eye on her, regardless of where they are. Um, one important thing in my when I do any type of D and D, and somebody creates a character, um, as part of their character creation, um, I require them to choose a phobia. Everybody's scared of something. It could be something common like spiders or snakes or heights or claustrophobia. Any of those things will work. Um, Or you can pick something crazy. I'm scared of owlbears or I'm scared of dragons. I mean, that's perfectly fine too. But I want you to have some type of phobia fleshing out your character. And then usually there's a reason why, and I let you come up with that. Um, Willows is that she is very anxious around people. She has a hard time in crowds, Um, cities literally something she fears. She'll go into when she has to, but she just does not like that. That's one reason why she's a druidist. She was alone in nature with animals, and that's what she preferred. Um, But she is, uh, like I said, druids are kind of cleric, if you're not familiar, and they are uh, another way of uh, communing with nature and magic and so on. So that is Willow. And then for our last character that we're going to kind of touch on of the new group, is Zarin. Uh, Zarin is a Halfling mage. And... it is he Zarin, um, of all the characters, would fall much, much more on the neutral spectrum. Uh, Zarin was from a family of um, merchant mages. They literally sold their services... Um, and it was a big honor. It was important to, once you reach a certain age, you, everybody goes into mage work. That's pretty much what the family does if you have any aptitude for it. And their family had a natural skill to it. Um, so they were very well sought after as protectors or as um, uh, consorts in like kingdoms and such. So they're very well known in their world uh, he was traveling from one job to another, basically, traveling to a kingdom where he was going to be um, helping in an investigation of something or other, when the merge happened, and suddenly he's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Zarin is probably the greediest of the group, and you're going to come across that early, uh, but Zarin is a little bit self-serving. He's very business-like. Um, he'll be the first one to ask, hey, what are we going to get paid to do this, when other people are jumping in offering to help somebody, Um but he, he does have a relatively high aptitude for magic. Uh, so even though he's relatively young by his family's standards, he's already quite powerful compared to some of those even older than him. Um, but that's who I've got for Zarin. And there's only one last one we're going to touch on today, I think. Am I? No, I didn't, I didn't put it together. No, I did not. Okay. The last one is, that I'm going to mention is Zoltan. Um, and Zoltan, of course, is that demigod, and I apologize, I don't have the picture with me set up. Um, it is on the website for sure, but I didn't realize I didn't set that up here, so um, if you'd like to see a picture of what Zoltan the Grey looks like, um, picture, there's a guy on the, on the character section on OnlyDraven.com, uh, except he has very grey hair. When I mean grey, I mean it's like straight grey, like dipped in a grey ink kind of grey all right so today i know i've been going on for a while and i've really just been talking about stuff without sharing the story but i really wanted to do a big introduction on these guys because they're going to be here for a while and i want you to feel very familiar with them Uh, so if anybody needs me to pull up a picture again on the future or you're asking me something please feel free to ask so after their little adventure um where the group had gone and basically become you know the the guards on that uh voyage they're now traveling themselves and now they're just trying to traveling looking for clues and so far everywhere they've been even when they've spoke to small temples and small wizard factions no one yet has figured out how but the one thing that everyone has learned and this is very important is that no one's able to directly commune with the gods any longer in dungeons and dragons a cleric prays and that next day the god gives them their magic. These are your spells based on the type of cleric that you are. And while clerics are still able to have their spells from praying, they no longer feel a god's response. Um, Very rarely are they getting, um, you know, a lot of times the god wouldn't pop in and say, hey, how's it going? But the god would very often, you'd feel that like you're being touched or you're being... Um, you're feeling that aura, if you will. Like the god is looking down upon you. And and for a lot of clerics, that's become very difficult because they're used to that kind of touch, that kind of that um, feeling of a protector of shield around you. Uh, or of or, or being, you know, comforted, almost. Uh, even the even evil gods have that same kind of aura from theirs, except for Malachi, the god of torture. That's a whole other story. Um, of oh, death and decay and such. So, um, the clerics are not able to directly... Consume no gods have spoken to anyone specifically. Um, Not even any signs, if you will. Um, And that's a very troubling thing because no one knows why. Mages can still cast their spells, but they can no longer um, they can no longer commune to even feel the the gods magic. They can cast spells, but they don't feel what they did before. Everything feels weaker. Uh, Zeke, so interesting, already can't wait for more. (laughs) I appreciate that, Zeke. Uh, Except there's a lot more, so stay tuned. <laughs> but, um, so, so, this group have traveled along, and that's become a common theme they found out. While even the cities, I talked about cities, were smaller to medium-sized cities, none of them were massive, huge cities. So they're hoping if they can find a big enough cleric's temple or a big enough mage's guild that's a group of larger, more powerful, altogether may have more information, um, and that would help them find their way home. Uh, very quantum leap-like. Uh, see if they in this next city will be their leap home. Um, so they're traveling, and as they've been traveling, um, they they travel through uh, a mountainous area, and they come to a set of uh, a kind of a fork in the road. And imagine if you had a very rocky pass. So there's rocks on the left and the right, so you have to stay on the path. Um, they're up; in, they're already up in mountains, but they're not like climbing, if you will. Um, and they get to a point where it can fork, and one looks more recently used. But the other one looks a little more worn, like no one's gone that way in a while. The brush is overgrown on it. So instinctually, of course, their first thoughts are, well, let's go the road more traveled. That's going to lead us to where more population is. Um, and it's important when they travel, in the front of the party is always usually Darsh and dandy. Um, they lead because Dandy being a rogue, she's the one looking for traps and things like that. Darsh is the, the big guy up front. If something comes at them, he's their first line of defense. He's huge. Um, at the very end of the group is always going to be Willow and then Shadow. Shadow's the same situation. He's the one watching the rear. If anything comes up, he can defend from that. Um, Willow can jump in with spells if needed to be. Um, Druid's same situation. She can't commune with nature like she could. She still can get her spells and such, but she doesn't feel nature's touch as she used to. Um, so they're about to pass and go down the travel when Danny kind of catches a glint, which is odd because it's not sunny out. It's very cloudy. Um, it's middle of the day, but it's not rainy, but it looks like it may rain later. Uh, but she sees a little glint on the other path and she quickly rushes over because Kendra are insanely curious and she finds a small silver coin and it looks like it's just been set there. Like there's no dirt on it. There's nothing growing over it. It's sitting there perfectly on the path. Now, immediately, a group starts talking. Okay, well, somebody had to have gone that way to drop that coin. It can't have been there long. But we don't really see any marks of anybody passing through. Is this a situation where, you know, somebody's traveling somewhere. Maybe they need help. Maybe they don't. You know, Zaren's immediately like, well, there's not going to be any profit chasing some dude. One coin's nice, but city, we can get there. We can maybe get some jobs, get some more money, and find out what we need to do. I want to talk to some more wizards, commune with my brother, and see if they find anything. Um, but at the same time, Artemis and Willow are like, well, this is kind of standing out the normal for us. This is odd. And while we're not feeling the god's hands pushing us that direction, both of them have an odd feeling like we should take that path. So there's a bit of a conversation, a little bit of a debate. They throw up a vote as a group majority rule. They decide to take the unworn path, at least for a while. If it becomes more treacherous, they can always turn around and come back. So they proceed down this path, this trail, and they go for a while, and they find that it's actually starting to go down. They're like, oh, okay, cool. Um, we're not going higher into the mountains. Maybe we're gonna get out of them. This this may be beneficial after all. Even Zarin's like, okay, it's easier going downhill than uphill, and I have little legs. I'm all right with it. So they're bumbling down their hill, um, And it gets very windy, and it's still very rocky on each side, but they know they're going down this path. Um, And the path isn't super wide. Um, A very thin wagon could go down, like a single horse wagon, but like a big carriage would never fit down this path in some of its spots. But they continue this for hours, and as it's about to go dark, they see a bit of a glow in the distance. And they come around a bend, and they can see a small town, very in the very center of almost a valley with mountains around it. And they're like... Okay, we can see lights in in, in the town, it's not huge, looks a little worn, but hey, at least it's a place maybe we can get a bed for the night. So they travel on down, they get down there, and they kind of come into town. And People are looking at them very strange what few people are looking, most of them are kind of staying away, um, and they see there's an inn, so they make their way towards the inn. Now, part of this story here has been grabbed from little segments of some other stuff, so if you see things you've ever heard of, I promise I'm, it's not stolen. It turns out some of the things I use are very common in fantasy. <laughs> but they basically get into this town and they go into the inn. Um, and the inn's actually relatively bustling. There's a decent enough homes and business around here that, you know, there's at least 50, 60 buildings. You know, most of them are small, but there's, there's a good group there. And a lot of people are, appear to be here eating. You know, as in very many towns, a lot of people, especially the single people, will go to the tavern to eat or drink or talk for the evening. So they come in and they get some wide eyes, but the the owner you know, greets them and says, "We don't get very many people passing through here. It's actually very rare. It's kind of treacherous to get here, ever since the mountain fell." And so the group's like, "Well, with the mountain fell, you mean the merging?" And they're like, "I don't, I don't know what you mean by emerging. I mean, no. About 20 years ago, a chunk of the mountain fell and it blocked most of the road to here. It's just a thin path now, and so a lot of the caravans that used to come down here now go around the mountains, and the town's kind of fallen into." bit of disrepair. We were a big logging community. As the caravans, we would sell the wood and they would take it down to the other cities. Uh, So now we just kind of all make do the best we can. So the group decides, okay, we're going to have a dinner, see if we can get a room. They've got some decent coin on them. Uh, Most of them had some coins of some nature, even before they all met, but they got paid pretty well for the caravan job. Uh, so they get themselves a meal, and they all kind of sit down to eat. And while they're eating, the place is kind of lively, and some of the people come around and introduce themselves, and people are very friendly. And Once they realize this is not a group coming in here to kill them all, this is a group of strangers that are just passing through, they ask for news of the outside world, and they're shocked to hear about the merging. Um, because, they, I mean, everybody felt something happen that night many months ago. Everybody remembers that. But their little section of the world really didn't change much to them. And since many of them don't travel outside of town, they didn't know the world outside had been greatly affected. So while they're playing, Dandy starts juggling, just having fun. And, you know, Darsh is like, you know, she starts juggling a bunch of dishes. And Darsh says, put that down. But he startles her, not like in a scared way, but catches her attention. And one goes flying, and a big butter dish just lands on his head. And you just see butter drooping down his face. I know that doesn't sound super funny, but it is in the context. That actually happened in the story. And uh, from that point on, butter dishes are, are, are something Darsh does not like to be around. But he got butter in his eyes, got to wipe himself off. And while, while Dandy's laughing at the whole thing, Shadow looks towards the, win- the window nearby as if he heard or saw something. Mercy and Fig... They see the signs of someone, you know, again, warriors. Darsh is a little occupied with trying to get butter out of his eyes, but Mercy and Figure notice that something, notice um, that Shadow sees something. Shadow looks at the window and kind of does, gives a little nudge thing, and they both just casually get up with him and they look out the window. Um, In the distance around an alley, it looks like someone is fighting. It looks like several are attacking one individual. Very quickly, these three people, protecting noble people, like somebody's getting jumped we gotta go help so they quickly rush out the rest of the group doesn't know what's happening but they start grabbing their weapons and following and the townspeople are like where are you guys going they prepaid so they're not worried about that but they run in the alley and when they get there there's no one there but there's, a, there's, there's someone laying on the ground moaning and when they get there the person's very seriously injured um, Artemis gets there and she's about to heal him um, but with his age and the of wounds her healing wouldn't be enough to save him he's been stabbed multiple times Um, she's a cleric, but she's not a super powerful cleric yet, yet. So at this point, her healing would help comfort him, and she tries to take the pain, but she doesn't have enough magic to save him. Um, the guy introduces himself as Poot. He says, he goes, he's Poot, and he goes, they're after the treasure. You've got to keep him out of my house. He says in a way more cool voice, I'm not going to do right now, but he's dying. And they're like, what are you talking about? And at that time, the town militia comes running up, and they they know Poot, and they're like, what happened to Poot? And they're like, we saw somebody jumping him, we came out here, but there's nobody around. The constable comes up, which is the, the head of the town militia guard, and he's like, he asks for information, what did you see? We saw three figures jump him, we came running out, but it was too late. Poot has already passed away by this point. They're like, all he said was they're after the treasure. Nobody understands what type of treasure they're talking about, they don't know. But, uh, they're Poot gets picked up, and they're like, "Okay, we're going to take Poot and take care of him." Um, and the town's like, "They—they they knew they didn't do it because you know they all saw that they didn't have time for all these guys to just start stabbing them." So everybody, you know, kind of Poot gets taken away. The characters don't know what else to do. Our main, our group, so they, they go back into the place, finish their meal, sleep for the night. The next day, they they wake up to um, come down to the room to get breakfast, and the constable's there, and he's like. Um, you know, I, I've heard your story, I knew what was going on, and I've heard about your little adventures. Um, we don't have a lot of violence here, there's not a lot of problems like this that come up, and I really don't have experienced manpower to kind of what's going on. We haven't had a murder here in decades. Um, I was wondering if you might be interested in helping me find what happened. And immediately Zaren's like, well, what are you paying? The guy's a little taken back, and Mercy, you know, goes to elbow him. Of course he's shorter, so he kind of gets elbow in the side of the ear, which makes him fume a little bit. But he's like, I we we have some coin, we we can pay you what we have. And and Artemis steps in and says, Well, that's fine. We're happy to help. We'll see what we can do. We don't want him to have anywhere to be. We can spend a couple days looking around, see if we can find any any leads or clues for you, see if we can figure out what's going on. Because definitely, three two or three people jumping this guy, they're out there somewhere. We don't want anybody else to get hurt. So the group. Begins an investigation. I'm not going to go into all details of that, but they check different homes, they talk to different people, and they go to Poot's house. And when they get to Poot's house, they get inside of it, there is, um, it's already been tossed. Someone's been in there, things are broken, Um, and while they're looking around, Dandy's finds a picture on the ground. And the glass is broken that it was in and it's just sitting there and kind of half sticking out. She pulls it out and it's a picture of Poot, younger, with a group of other five or six people, male and female, uh, and they look like they're warriors or adventurers of some kind. Um, Dandy's about to put it down when she realizes on the back there's something there. On the back of it, there's some type of map leading from this town up into the mountains. There's an X there and she doesn't understand what, they don't know what it is, but they're like this may be what they're looking for. They said it's a treasure. This could be a treasure map. Um, so they're looking around, and she keeps Poot's picture, rolls it up, sticks it in her pouch. Um, and I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll go, back. They go back to the constable. When they talk to the constable, he's like, okay, yeah, Poot was part of an old adventuring group in his youth. That was like 30, 40 years ago. There was a group of warriors and, you know, rangers and heroes that would, uh, not only they were worked, they defeated dragons and all that kind of stuff, and they would go out and do hero stuff. Um, but then, like, there was a, a battle... Um, and when they when they run out onto this battle, there I think they're going to fight a dragon, um, and only three of them returned. Uh, one was a female warrior, one was Poot, and then one was a knight, almost almost a paladin, if you uh, And um, Poot was very quiet; didn't want to talk about what happened. Um, the paladin guy was almost gibbering like he wasn't making a lot of sense and almost like he'd gone insane with what he saw and um the next that next day when everyone woke up he was just missing and gone and the female warrior uh she just ended up leaving town a few days later said the place had memories and she she couldn't talk about what had happened none of them would talk about anything that had happened only that everyone else had died so they're like okay well maybe they saw something maybe that's what this x is it's an old map thing we'll try and find it So they go traveling um, the next day. Like, we're going to go see... It doesn't look like it's more than a day's travel. We're going to go see if we can find this X on the map. And they're following paths, and they're traveling out, and they're going up higher now into the mountains. They're going back up out of the valley, deep into this big mountain range that they're kind of smack dab in the middle of. They didn't realize was quite as big as it was. And um, when they get to a branch in the road, again, ahead of them, they see a man on a horse, dressed all in plate mail, Closed, with a lance. Now immediately they can tell this armor is not in good condition. It looks rusted, in places, even cracked or broken. Not well cared for. The weapon, while still looking like a decent was was a quality weapon at one point. He's got a sword on his on his waist. They can only see the hilt, of course, and the handle. But his uh, polearm or his uh, lance was was very good, but has fallen in disrepair. Now, I'm going to say that if you've ever played Dungeons & Dragons, the character I'm about to announce I actually is from a D&D adventure. Um, the name was and the concept of him, but I, I ended up making him into something a little bigger. And his name is Sir Nyklos of Roe. R-O-E-H. And that he proclaims himself as Sir Nyklos, Guardian of the Way, Blocker of the Road, Keeper of the Trees, and all these other rambling things that don't make a lot of sense and demands that you must battle him to, to move down the path further. Well, the Our group are like, okay, well, we don't need to fight you. We, we could just go around the trees. We don't need to use the road. He's like, no, those trees are mine too. You can't go through the trees. They're like, well, what if we go up the, around the hill over there? He's like, that hill's not mine, but you can't go that way either. And they're like, you're not making a lot of sense. And he's like, you have bested me. And they're And they're like, I don't, understand what you're talking about. And he gets off his horse, and you can hear it creaking and clanking as he comes walking up. You can see now he has a huge bow on his back. Like, a very strong composite bow, the type that most people couldn't even pull back. And he says, Ah, you've bested me with your logic. you found the loophole in my puzzle. You have won this great challenge. And introduced himself again as Nyklos of Roe, with a whole bunch of different titles last time. Now, they recognize that Nyklos is the guy that Kind of went loony and disappeared from Poot's group way back. And he said he knew it was time for him to return and he must protect the road. And like, well, well what did you tell? He goes, I sensed it. And he goes, I knew I had to because I've been fighting the fairies. And they're like, fairies? There are fairies around here? He goes, the fairies have been troubling me for many years. Every so often they take things that are mine and replace them with exact replicas. Things that look like that were things that were mine but aren't really mine. And they're like, okay, so come back with me to my camp and we will feast. Like, you have some food? He goes, well, I have some food. So they go back to his camp. And his camp, when they get into it, is very odd because when they get in there, imagine a small clearing in the middle of the woods and arrows sticking in everything. And I mean everything, everyone, animals, squirrels to treat, birds, like literally dead-eye shots, but just arrows sticking out of everything. And they're like, what happened here? He's like, ah, the fairies. They think I don't know it's them, but I know it's them. He invites them to sit down. He has some type of stew with an odd smell coming from it. And they're trying to be nice, but like, oh, we're not really hungry. But they want to talk to him and they start talking to him about poot. They're like, what did what happened with, with you and Poot? And he goes, Ah, we we swore never to speak of what happened. So let me tell you. What happened was we were chasing this dragon up in the up in the mountains. Um, it had robbed multiple caravans, and we were hired to take it down. Um, and, you know, we wanted not to attack the, the little town that you know of. and I, I don't have a name for it right now. It's been so long I forget it. Because, but that was back then and, and we, but unfortunately the dragon knew we were coming and set a trap and destroyed most of our group. We, only a few of us made it out alive at all. Um, at that point he just, out of nowhere, grabs his bow and flings an arrow right next to Darsh's face. And you hear thunk into a tree and you hear some type of animal squeal and he's like, ha ha, got you! Damn fairies. Sits back down and begins talking again like nothing happened. And the group's like, okay. okay." So he continues to tell stories. He goes, yes, I swore we would never go back there, but the map you have, yes, that's the map that we we drew to get back in case we ever needed to. We always hoped to go back and get the bodies of our fallen brethren, but the dragon, while while I know I hit it, I don't think I killed it. We're afraid that it's still there, though no one's seen it ever since that day. They talk about a few more things, what the town's doing, what he's been doing, and out of nowhere he stands up and takes his mug and screams, This is not my cup! Smash! Damn fairies! And just starts flinging arrows out into the trees. The group all hit the dirt, because these arrows are zinging by, but the dude's a dead eye and doesn't hit any of them. Sir Nyklos and the damn fairies is a running gag we're going to see later on in the story, so I wanted to go in a couple minutes of introducing him. He wasn't when I originally put him in there, but I ended up using him later, so I wanted to share that little bit of the story with you. So they decide that they camp there with Nyklos, because he guarantees he'll keep them safe. But the next morning, he, they get up and they continue. Nyklos says he must go back to guarding the road, as that is his job, to make sure no one ever gets past him. They're like, but, but we got past you. He goes, then no one else can ever get past me. He wishes them well on their journey. So they tr- follow the path, and they go up and they travel some more. And they're looking to, to find it. And they come to a, a, basically like a hole in the mountain, almost like you picture a tunnel. And it's carved. And they make their way through. Now on this way, they've had Dungeons and Dragons. They've had a couple. They fought one of these. They fought one of those. A couple goblins or something. There's been some minor adventures through here, but I'm not going to dwell on each one of those. But they've battled their way up and they've made their way up to the top now. And they find this tunnel that's very smooth. It looks dug, but it looks like it was dug by something large and sharp. And it goes through the mountain. So, drawing their weapons, they ca- carefully make their way through. And when they get through, they come into a, an area, which is another very dome or very round almost perfectly round spot in the mountains like the mountains just been chunked up and pulled out and in the middle of it is a tower that's broken and kind of leaning like a busted up tower of Pisa there they make their way towards it and as they get close they see a big corpse of a dragon so clearly they find okay well obviously this is where uh, this is where the, they they fought the dragon i guess he got a hit in better than he thought he would. And they find some corpses on the, some busted armor and things on the ground of the battle, but it doesn't look like anyone's ever been here since. They make their way into the tower, and when they look inside, they find several small chests with some coin and some jewelry, some things of value in it, but they find a bunch of old boxes, crates, things that were clearly taken from caravans long, long ago that have rotted. Things from food products, even leathers, silks, that have just fallen into filth at this point because they've been sitting there so long. They gather up what little bit of treasure they have and are like, okay, well, we kind of solved the mystery to this. And they give a burial to the bodies that were there next to the dragon. They're like, we're going to make our way back. And as they go to leave, they get to the tunnel. A very armored woman comes out with a group of followers, probably five or six other large warriors. And she's, and she's like, ah, you got here before me. I knew Poot had a mat there somewhere. It comes out that this is the female that was part of the group. And she'd always planned on coming back, but she couldn't find the way. And Poot would never tell her where, where he kept where he hid the mat, because he was in his mind, because he was still a little afraid as well, this is where they died, the treasure wasn't worth it, and if they made the dragon angry, he might hurt the townsfolks around him. So... Of course, they fight, because she wants the treasure. It's not as much as she thought was there, because dragon, you'd expect there to be more, but this ended up not being his prime residence, if you will. So, they fight next to the big dragon corpse. They end up defeating the chick and her her bad guys, and yay, they take some treasure off them. They make their way back to town. Uh, When they get to the fork in the roads where Nyclos was, there's no sign of him. When they check his clearing, he's gone. Lots of arrows everywhere, but he's gone. So they make their way back into town and they tell the townsfolk of what's happened. And they're like, and they're like yes, the caravans and so on and so forth. When the mountain fell, was around that time. Maybe the dragon did that, caused it, whatever the case may be. They kind of solved Poot's little murder mystery. Um, and they keep some of the treasure and they give some back to the townsfolk. Hopefully they can use that money to you know, rebuild part of their town. Zaren wasn't happy with that part, but he didn't push much because he did get some gems out of there. He has a thing for gems. He likes gems. So he has those. So this was just a brief little adventure to kind of let them learn each other's abilities and skills and kind of feel their own way. Um, the next day, they leave the town. They make their way uh, out the other side of the valley. And they, they, for a couple days, they travel and finally get their way out of the mountains. So when they're out of the mountains, they're following along a big river. And up ahead, they see a, a town. You know, they're traveling that's what they do and they find a town and they're like okay cool maybe somebody here is just going they can see that there's a a very big road running through the town as they're getting because they're coming down a bit of a of a, a hill that's down beneath them and the river goes along it there's a bridge over to a bridge over top of the uh, uh, river and then there's even some traffic going left and right so as they come into town people again very wary very wary of strange people, especially when one of them's a huge minotaur and everybody's got tons of weapons on them, and nobody likes a kender. Um, With this group comes rolling into town, people are very, what's going on? You here to take? your fight? What's the problem? You troublemakers? Um, the thing that almost always helps them in any of these situations, hands down, is Artemis. The fact that she has a clear, she's a cleric of healing, and she's wearing the holy symbol of a cleric of healing, which, if I remember correctly, is. Yes, it's like um, a drop of water, but with like another drop of water at the bottom. So it's a round disc with a drop of water and a drop of water. Because again, the healing waters of Tavian. And so she's wearing the, the blue robes of a healing. Every town likes a cleric of healing. Because oh, somebody's got an injury or hurt or, or someone's sick. She comes into town. Anytime they get into town, she starts healing some people. That's how the, t- the town lets them in. And The other group is aware of this. They know that she's their ticket to get into places, because, again, Darsh being the large guy he is, Zarin is a a, a a wizard of the red robes, which, much like the Dragonlance in my world, um, the colors aren't specific, um, so that, that doesn't matter, Dragonlance, the colors, but, but he's he's wearing red robes, So, he, but he's still they're very blood-like and crimson, so he's very dark-looking, and he has kind of a scowl on him, and, you know, they're all armed to the teeth, so... They normally would have a hard time just walking in somewhere, but with a cleric of healing, all they have to say is, "Oh, we, we protect her. We're her. She, we work for her." And everybody's like, "Oh, well, that makes sense. She would need someone to protect her. She's a, that's that's important stuff. She's a healer. Everybody would want to kidnap her." So, she does the same thing. She gets to town, starts healing some people who are sick. She goes into the tavern. They're talking, and uh, a woman comes up to her, and the woman clearly ragged. And I don't mean dirty. She's just like obviously like, stressed out. She could tell she was crying. And she comes up and, and, and starts begging Artemis to help her. And Artemis is like, well, what, what's wrong? Are you sick? Are you hurt? Do you have somebody at home that's sick? And the woman tells a story that her children are missing. She had two girls and a boy. And the town folks look very, very wary. And they're like, what's going on? And, and, and it comes out that many of the city's children have gone missing. Um, over the past six months, the children have just started disappearing. Uh, they'll hear... Weird animal noises sometimes at night, sometimes even during the day. Um, and while they don't know for sure, they've seen some large shapes running through town very quickly at night. No one's really got a good look at them. But they, uh, they the children would scream, and all of a sudden there'd be nobody there. A window would be busted open or something. But it's only children that are going missing. So they're like, we don't know what's going on. So like, the group's like, Artemis is like, I will help you, of course. I'm a good person. And kids are missing. I can't allow this. And other party members are, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And Zarin's like, oh, God, there's no money in this. But they're like, okay, fine. And they start kind of doing some stuff. Now, fortunately, um, Shadow, being an incredibly good tracker, Dandy is as well, but Shadow being even more so, and uh, Willow out in nature, they start investigating where some of the children are gone, and they find footprints that are animal-like, but bipedal, large. So not four- Legged animals, they're bipedal, and very quickly they almost look like large cat paws, uh, but longer, like a longer foot, if you will. Yeah. So they are searching for prints, and they find that they they found them in several places in town. Of course, townsfolk they're not very out in the open. There's just one here, one there. Townsfolk didn't really notice them, but they're looking for them, so they find these things, and they see they all seem to be heading outside of town towards a hill in the distance, almost like a, a, like a round mountainous hill. Like, what's over there? And they're like, I ah, just some old ruins. No one really goes out there anymore because it's, it's kind of dangerous. And, you know, there's an old graveyard up there and everybody's afraid of undead, so no one really goes up there anymore. And they're like, okay, well, that's kind of with the direction that the prints are going, so we're going to go ahead and head that way. And we'll see if what we can find. Uh, no prints of the kids, just these weird animal things. So they go heading up that Following those throughout the day, and it takes them a couple of days to get there. Dungeons and dragons. There's a couple small fights and adventures along the way, but when they, as again, they very easily and quickly, I'm sorry. After the first day, they very easily figure out what's going on because, in as they're traveling in the distance around a small campfire, they see a group of gnolls. Now, gnolls, you know, they're almost like hyena men. While they're dog-like in stature, their footprints are very cat-like, at least in the design of them that I have, and so the gnolls see them, and most of them come running to fight our, our group, because there's about like 10 or 12 of them hanging out there. And then one or two of them take off with the bags on their back. And they're like, those could be kids. We, we, we got to help. So they go in and they fight the gnolls. And of course, they wipe out the gnolls, because they're our heroes. And there's some injuries, but they're okay. And they begin to follow the gnolls. They come across they get to the ruins, but now they're being sneaky-sneaky, and they're being very careful to go in, and uh, Shadow and Dandy go do a recon, and as they, Shadow and Dandy are up in there, because they're the quiet sneaky type, um, and they get up in there and they're looking what's going on, they see that in the middle of these ruins there's a hole, and the knolls are kind of around it, and the hole has like a rope going down into it, and you can hear noises coming from out of the hole, and the flicker of lights as it's starting to get dark, and the sound sounds like mining. Now, the hole, you can see, used to be what a well was. It's very big stone blocks made this well and whatever this ruin was, and the blocks have cracked and been pulled aside, but the hole for the well itself is very small. Um, and they go back, Dandy and Shadow go back, and they're talking, and they're like, we think the kids are down there. That's what it sounds like. Only a child would fit down in there. And they're like, okay, well, we need to, we need to figure out what's going on. We need to get down there and save these kids. Well, Darsha's like, well, I'm not going to fit down the hole. And most of you aren't now. Artemis probably could. Mercy could if she wasn't wearing her armor. But really, Willow, Fig, Zarin, and Dandy are the only ones that are small enough and thin enough to probably get down the hole. So they come up with this plan like, okay, we're going to make a scene, try to pull the gnolls away. You guys try to sneak down the hole, find out what's going on with the kids. So, that's what happens. Darsh starts growling, and they set a fire off, and they're clanging against shields, and they're making a lot of noise to try to get people to uh, draw attention and to come see what's going on. Most of the gnolls run off. There's a few other gnolls, um, but Shadow and Dandy, or Dandy is very easily able to sneak up and, and take most of them out, because again, she's very quiet, she's very subtle, and she can do a lot of damage when she needs to, if she's being sneaky. They quickly find the rope going down the hole. They find that there's almost like a it's almost like a, a metal plate with four ropes. So imagine four holes drilled at the end so you could put your foot on it and they could lower the rope down. And there's a winch. We're like, we can't all go down. Fig's the strongest one here, even though he's little. He's, again, he's all muscly. He's Jason Statham in muscle. He's like, I'm going to lower you guys down. So he lowers the other three down. When they get down there, it's a cavern. And they can see symbols of what used to be parts of ruin sticking out of the earth. And it's very easy to see that something at one point caved in and caused whatever this... Was here, whatever building or something, had all collapsed into underground, and there are a bunch of kids just hanging out here, and they're mining, and they're all like, "Oh, what are you?" You know, and they're like, "Hey, we've come to save you. What's going on?" And like, they have us mining. There, there's supposed to be some type of treasure room down here, and if we find, and, and we can't go home until we find it. They barely feed us. They barely give us water. We're never allowed to come out of this hole. There's no other way out of here. So we're just mining, trying to find this room. So hopefully they'll let us go home. Now, our heroes, of course, know that's not going to happen. They're either going to keep you mining or they're going to kill you or they're gnolls. They're probably going to eat you. So we've got to get you out of here. And the kids aren't stupid. There's a couple older kids there, probably 11, 12 years old. Most of them are younger than that, six and seven. They're grabbing little people. There's a couple really small older kids and they're like, yeah, that's what we thought too. We thought that they were going to kill us. So we found something, but we haven't told them we found it because we're afraid if we do, they're going to kill everybody. We've been trying to find a way out And I think we found one But we're afraid to run Because with so many of us They'll just catch up Because gnolls are very fast Gnolls are also tall They're like six feet tall Big dog dudes And they show our heroes What's going on They, they find this there's, there's this room If you will um, With a door That's very very sealed Like it's not Nothing locked like It's not locked But there's the, one of those Wooden beams over the thing where You have to lift it up And the kids aren't strong enough And they said, we found a tunnel that if we follow this, it actually comes out in a group of rocks about, you know, several hundred yards away from where the camp is. But a group of us going that far, there's just no way we're going to be able to make it away from the hundred gnolls that are chilling upstairs. Because there's a lot of gnolls. Probably should have said that. There's a lot of gnolls. At this point, they hear a noise up top, and and one of them, Danny goes running back, and its fig says, they're starting to come back. The fig, they're starting to come back. I can see them, you know, I can hear them. And they're like we, we, we got to get these kids out of here. Fig's like, I'm coming down. I need catch me. And he jumps. Of course, they don't catch him. Fig falls, sprains his leg a little bit. But it's, it's like a 14, 15-foot drop. But what else are you going to do? He can't really get away from the knolls. They're going to come back and find dead bodies up there because you know, they didn't hide them. So they know something's going to happen. So they jump down. F- Fig gets filled in on what's going on. And they said, we got to get these kids out of here. So as they're going by the room, Fig's like, okay, well, all this trouble, i got to see what's in this room. And he lifts and pushes off the thing. Him and Zaren, they manage to get off and they go into the room. And all that's in there is a ball. Imagine a glass orb, probably two and a half, three inches in diameter, just floating in the center of the room. It's up in the air and it's like just kind of lightly bobbing in the air. And they're like, okay. And they get up and Zarin, casts a little spell and they're like, okay, well, it's not trapped in any way. And he reaches out and takes it. And it's just insane. It stops glowing. And they're like, what is it? He's like, I don't know, but we don't have time to find out. Slips it in his bag. Time to run. So they get out there and they follow and they gather the kids. And there's about 30, 30 kids at this point. And they didn't all come from that one town. The gnolls have raided a couple other towns as well. But our heroes are like, hey, we can get them back to this town. Then we can get them to their regular you know, families. Let's get them back to the town that we know of, the one that's closer. So they, they funnel these kids out and, you know, they start trying to get away. Now, our other four heroes, which are all still hanging out up, up top, because the Knolls couldn't find them, they, they kept hidden. The Knolls went back. They've been looking for a sign from their compatriots. The compatriots are lighting a torch across the valley. They see this line of kids and four little short people running along. They're like, hey, there they are. Let's get going. So they hoof it down there as well. And about the time that they catch up with um, Dandy and Willow and them, they hear the noise of the Knolls. The Knolls have also noted this going on. And you can see just a group of Knolls coming. So at this point, it's we've got to hurry. So they're running, but there's no way they're going to outrun the gnolls. And while our heroes are good warriors and even got a mage and such there, that's still like a 100 gnolls. There's no way they're going to be able to beat these gnolls. And they're like, what are we going to do? We don't know. We just keep running. And they're running with the kids, running with the kids. And Dandy says, you know, something insulting. I, I, the term we used, if I'm right, is not... Uh, I could, I could get demonetized, so I'm not going to use it. But she said something very insulting to the Gnolls. Kendras are great at taunting. And she starts throwing rocks at them. And Darsh is like, what are you doing? we got to go. And she's like, there's no way we're going to get away from them. See if we can stop them. And they're like, well, okay, you guys run with the kids. Artemis and Willow are running with the kids. And all the warriors and mages are like, okay, see if we can slow them down the best we can. Because we're not going to outrace them. And they're starting to throw things. And then Dandy... Wheels back and whips something really hard. And when she does, you see that it starts to streak with light. And they're like, what did you just throw? He's like, just my glass ball. I'm like, what glass ball? That glass ball I found. What glass ball? it starts, and the orb's gone. And the orb lands, and uh, boom. It causes an explosion, and flame just starts coming in. Imagine a flame wall coming towards you. And they're like, gotta go. And they turn and they start running. And even though many of them are fast, <laughs> Zarin is not. Darsh scoops him up and Fig as well because they're the shortest legs. Even though they're in good shape, they're not fast. And they start booking it as fast as they can. Darsh as tall as he is, is definitely making the most steam. And he has a huge constitution. Uh, so he has more stamina than almost anybody in the group except for maybe Shadow. And they go booking it and they manage to... The flames eventually die down behind them. But they look back and it's just a black field where it's wasted. And Zarin's like, I can't believe you threw away. We didn't even know what it was yet. And she's like, I, you shouldn't have dropped it on the ground. I didn't drop it on the ground. You stole it. I would never steal anything. I've never been so insulted. Because, again, Kendra steals things without really realizing they steal things. Very slippery fingers. So they're like, should we go back and look for the orb? And they're like, no, we got to get these kids out of here. And Zarin, very irritated, goes, what if it's still there and it could do that again? They're like, if it's in the middle of that, cause the crater thing, it's best we don't have it. Which is silly thinking, because of course you want to have it but they decide to go back to town. takes them a while to get back. They get the kids back there. Kids are safe. This is very, very cool. Um, Everybody's good. The only person they don't find is that lady who wanted her kids back. For some reason, she's not there. But everybody else, oh, our kids are back, and we can make sure the kids get back to the town now that the gnolls aren't a problem. We're in good shape. And they're like, okay, very cool. That's awesome. Uh, Well, glad we could help. We didn't really make any money out of this one, but you know, we're glad we were to help. That's Zaren's thinking, anyways. The rest of them are like, just happy to do a good thing. Fortunately, they didn't learn anything about the merge in this situation. They didn't learn anything about what happened with the world in general or how to get back home. So like, okay, well, I guess we'll just follow the road. Which way do we want to go north? Or we want to go south. And I, I guess we'll just go this direction. It's the opposite direction. It's the, because you know, they, they're coming down to the town, the road went left and right. They decide they're going to go north because they're told that, at least there was, Way up in that distance, a very big town that had a mage guild in it. Zaren's like, okay, maybe we can get some answers there. They might talk to me. I can get in there. Maybe they know something about what's going on with the merge. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. So they spend the night. They get free food and lodging because they didn't save the kids. The next day, they proceed to continue on their adventure. So they've had a couple little adventures now. They've got their feet under them, I and mean, there's a lot more in-depth stuff as part of that adventure. I mean, I could write down the different conflicts and the, the cool maze that was under the ground where the ruins were and such, and the history of the ruins, but for the purpose of these two adventures, it was mostly just to get our characters used to how to fight with each other, um, how to use their skills, how to you know how they could work well together, and use those skills, okay, you're the good person at this, but you're the really good person for this reason, and, and kind of work that out. So it was really a, a development to, to kind of get them, okay, we're a group now, and this is how we roll. It's a dice joke, how we roll. So they then say, okay, cool. They start traveling north. And as they're traveling north, they travel for a couple of days, mini side adventures. But as they get um, to where, you know, the road starts to go through a bunch of trees, it continues to deep woods. They continue on through. And as they're traveling, it's getting close to night. They're like, well, we better start making camp here soon. They see a little house in the distance. They're like, oh, there's a house up there. It's just off the side of the road, little clearing. They get up there. There's a little well, a little smoke coming from the chimney. looks like a quaint little home. And they're like, okay, well, maybe this person knows where the town is or a place we can stay. There's a little shed out in the back. Maybe they'll let us stay in their shed. It's a little gloomy. It might rain. Let's see what we can do. So they go and they knock on the door. And as they knock on the door, they hear a voice, come on in, come on in. So they come in and there's an old man and there's a, an old woman inside. The old man's sitting by the fireplace, smoking a pipe. There's gray smoke coming up, and he's just kind of hanging out there, and his eyes are kind of squinty, he got glasses on. He's like, ah, we haven't had a visitor in a long time. Come in, come in. And the lady's in the kitchen like, ah, would you like some tea? And they're, they're, and they're like, oh, okay, well, thank you. And they come in, and they notice there's a bunch of chairs there. Sitting around, you know, kind of like all facing the fireplace. And chairs of different sizes. There's the exact amount of chairs it would need for these guys to sit down. There's even a large one for Darsh. This does not escape them. These are not stupid people. They're like, okay. They're on their guard. They're like, what's going on? But okay, we'll play friendly. They sit down and they're like, you yeah, know, you seem to be expecting guests. <clears throat> he goes, yes, yes, I've been expecting you for quite a while now. You've really been keeping your hands full the last few months. Now they're, now they're concerned. They're like, okay, clearly, you know us. Do we know you? He's like, yes, you've been helping me for a while now. And before in front of them, their body kind of, his body starts to kind of like shake and something, step back, like what's going on? His body shapes and changes. And suddenly he's the old lady or the lady that needed help with her kids. And they're like, Okay, what are you? You're the, were you the lady or were you the old guy? And he changes again, or she changes again. And now she's the constable from the first town. Now, Darsh is a little hot-headed. He literally draws his weapon. He's like, you got some answers now, or I'm going to separate whichever head is attached to whichever shoulders you show next. Looking behind them to see where the old lady is, the old lady's gone. It's just the guy at the fireplace now. And he just laughs a little bit, smiles. And his body shapes and changes one more time. And his final form, he's just just a guy. A very regular, normal, would blend into a crowd guy. The only thing that stands out about him at all is his gray hair and the gray robes that he's wearing. And he introduces himself and he says, I've been watching you for a while. You're exactly what I need. My name is Zoltan and I have a problem. One moment, my throat's getting dry. So Zoltan introduces himself. And very quickly, the magic users in the group, Willow, Zarin, and Artemis, can feel a bit of energy or um, magical strength kind of coming off of him. So they're they're like, this is not someone peon in front of us. This is somebody with, with some power. And he introduces himself, and he says my name is zarin and i am the watcher i i am a demigod that serves the gods and we have a serious problem going on please have a seat and they're like no i don't think we're going to like i don't think i am gonna sit down and he's like have a seat and darsh for the first time in his life feels it might be in my best interest to have a seat just sorta of, down. He sits down in his chair, and they're all sitting there. He goes, "I mean you no harm. I need you. I need people like you. And I've been watching you, and I think you're the perfect group. Like perfect group for what?" He goes, "I need you to fix things. The world is broken. An epic event of proportions beyond the scope of your imagining has happened, and it has literally rewritten reality itself." and I need you to fix it. And they're like, well, you know, flattered you think we can do something like that, but I don't know what you're going on. He goes, I know what caused the merge, and I know how you can fix it. Now this catches their attention. They're like, okay, nobody knows what happens. He goes, And he tells them the basic story of the Firemoon Brothers, which was episode one. If you've not seen that, I recommend going back, pausing real quick and watching episode one and then coming back to here. Are you back? Good. So he tells them the basic story of the Firemoon Brothers. He said that at the end when the merge happened and magic was hurled out and thrown, and everything went crazy. In that brief second, and this new world was created, A energy surrounded this planet. An energy so strong that the gods can't get through it any longer. Something is blocking the gods from getting in. And they're like, okay, well, you're a demigod. How did you get in? He's like, that's a very good question. I knew I was picking the right people. I have the opposite problem. I can't get out. This shield, this force, whatever it is, I don't know what it is. But it's so powerful that it limits myself and even that of the elder gods. While they can still send their magic through perfectly fine, their ability to directly communicate is overwhelmingly overwhelmingly limited, literally to one person in a day, if not months, whereas they used to be able to speak to any of their loyal followers as needed to give signs or omens or prophecies. But now they can only direct target, and that's how they've spoken to me. In that brief instant where the universe reformed, my brothers and sisters, the other watchers, gave what power they had to thrust me into this world. Because, you know, a millisecond is a lot of time for someone with that kind of power. In- but not that much. So he goes. they're like, well, what happened to the other demigods? He's like, I don't know. Were they destroyed in the merge? Do they exist? I know only that they used their magic to push me through, but now I'm here and I can't get back out the shield. I don't know what's going on outside other than what brief communication I occasionally get from an individual god. But I have been traveling the world for several months. I'm a demigod, I can get around here pretty quickly. And I have been figuring out some of the things that have been going on and what needs to happen. The problem is, I need you to get something for me. And they're like, okay, what's that? He goes, when the merge happened, the magical artifact weapons were not destroyed. Their magic was unleashed, but they still exist. They're still here throughout this new world. I need you to get them back. If we can get them back, I believe I can use their magic to break the shield, and then at that point the gods together very likely have the ability to put things back the way they were. And they're like, you mean you can get us back home? He goes, yes. I, I believe that can happen. I mean, I, I'm only getting vague from them. They can't directly speak to me, but I'm, I'm getting this is from them and my own research. I believe that the gods all together, they created the universe. I don't see why they can't put it back. But this event was so huge. (laughs) That's correct. This guy is not good at holding his artifacts. (laughs) Thank you, Cytheria. He's like, I need you to get them back. But there's a problem. And they're like, well, it sounds like there's a lot of problems. He goes, but there's there's an extra large problem. We're not the only ones trying to get them. And they're like, OK. Well, what else is it? He goes, I don't know. Whatever it is is incredibly powerful. I can only see it as a shape of darkness a void in my view. When I look where something should be, when I use my magic to reach out to try to sense what it is, I only see a blackness. It's like my energy is just enveloped and pulled away. I can't see who or what it is, but whatever it is, it's also using people to try to gather the weapons as well. And I'll be honest, it got a head start. I need you to get them back, or at least as many as you can, because if somebody else gets access to all of these what they could unleash could be even worse than the merge that's already happened. Well, they're like, OK, well, this is a, a big job. Why us? That's what Zarin says. Why us? There you are know, a lot of people. We can't be the most powerful people in this world. Why us? And Zarin says, because you're touched. They're like, OK, well, well what does touched mean? And Zarin says that throughout the universe and every world, when a, when a life is born, when a life is brought into existence, in that brief second, when that soul links with the child, whether it's a human, an animal, an elf, person, a tree, when that soul of that living thing, the light flares to become the essence of what that person is going to be, in that brief instant, sometimes a god feels pulled to that soul. Senses... That that soul is special. And that if the potential of that soul is unleashed, something that will directly affect the god that feels pulled to it will happen. Now, will it help the god? Will it hurt the god? The gods don't even know. But in that moment, they have a choice. They can reach out and they can touch that soul and unlock its potential. And from that point on, somehow that person's life will be intertwined with that God, that God's followers, or that God's desires or wishes. Something they're going to do is going to affect that God's existence. Better or worse. Sometimes it's for something very small. Sometimes it's something really big. He said Ray Firemoon was touched. So I was able to find him and his brother. But rarely do you see more than one or two touched people on a given world in a generation. It's not common for this to happen. He goes, all eight of you have been touched by different gods. But each one of you, at the moment of your inception, was touched, which is what unlocked your potential. Somehow it caused you all to end up in the same place when the merge happened. All from different worlds, but all ending up in about the same place. And drew you together. And you've all felt that kind of pull. Eight touched people in one group. I've, I've never been able to put together a group like that. You are the best chance I have of literally getting out there and doing something that will really affect the world. And I need the world affected big. i got to get this stuff fixed. I'm not, I do not want to say anything. A little bit of this is probably kind of on me. I mean, I did my best to guard the weapons. But their power was beyond even what the gods could assume they were. When Nilat took those and used them to cause all this to happen, he literally was about to become a god. The magic that caused all this could have caused him to become a god had this spell been created. But now I've got to get them back, and I've got to use them to fix what's happened, to rewrite reality. And I need you to do it, because I'm still limited by some of the rules. I still can't directly affect. I can do a little bit more than I could before, but I can't directly effect events. I can only guide them. I can put you. I can give you things. I can give you information. I can point you in the direction they have to go. But I need you to get these back as quick as possible before whatever that darkness is gets a hold of them first. And I know that whatever it is already has one. And they're like, okay, so where do we start? He's like, I'm gonna be able. I, I'm gonna be able to open up the portal. It's very small. And it's only gonna be for just a minute or so. But I'm gonna be able to get you on the right path. And I'm going to give you these. And he holds up his hands. And falling from them are two necklaces. He says, if you take this and you spin it, he flicks one. It spins. As it spins, it doesn't stop. It gets faster and faster. And a thin beam of light starts pointing back towards the front door. We're all looking at it. What's that? He goes, this will point you to the closest artifact. For my own creation. I used a bit of my essence. I've spent so much time with these. I, I, I know they're magic. These will help point you in their direction." I will give them to you. You can choose who holds them. I I trust you in that. And I'll open up a portal to as close as I can get you to the first one. Once you go through, I just need you to gather them. Now, I'm going to do my best to commune with the gods. I'm going to try to go out and find more information on whatever this thing is that's trying to get them. And I'm also going to try to find more information on where these things may be so I can help you future. But it may be a while before you hear from me. Each time I do something big, it drains me and I can't fully realize my powers while I'm trapped in the shield. It's like a dampening thing. So I don't have all the power I did before either. So, I'm going to put you on this quest and get you going. Once you get out there, you'll be on your own for a while. I'll check back in as soon as I can. The group's like, well, it doesn't seem like we have a lot of choice. I mean, if this is the only thing that's going to get us back home again, and we all want to get back home, we have friends and family and loved ones, romantic interests, whatever the case may be. We want to get back home, then that's what we'll do it. Fine. He's like, excellent, excellent. I knew I could count on you. You're a good group of people. And he kind of smiles a little bit, looking him over. He says, rest well, and in the morning, I'll open the portal, and you'll be off on your adventure. To basically, go get all these weapons and such. And they're like, okay. So they sleep well. they got a nice place. There's plenty of food there. Whatever that old woman thing was in the... In the thing, there's plenty of food in the kitchen, so they're all able to get some meats and cheeses and wines, and they have a very nice meal. The fire is nice and toasty. It's very comforting. While they're resting on the floor, there's no beds, per se. It's They still get a very good night's sleep, more so than they probably should have, and they assume Zoltan's magic is part of that, because when they wake up the next morning, they feel completely fresh and new, more so than they felt in months. They don't know if Zoltan ever slept. They all took turns on camp watch, to make Nobody slept all at the same time was their goal. But then they all fell asleep anyways. They assume they were put to sleep magically by Zoltan. Shadow wasn't happy about that. Shadow was just going to go into a meditative state like elves can do and just kind of watch. So he doesn't trust Zoltan. Who would? Next morning they wake up. Zoltan still sitting there. Still as gray as ever. And he's like, I hope you've west- rested well. There's foods for your meal. Everybody eats real quick. And he says, I'm now going to open up the portal. And once I do, you'll step through You'll be taken outside of a city. I know not the name of the city. I know not who lives there. I know only that one of the artifacts is somewhere within that city. Use the amulets I gave you to find it, and then start looking for the other ones. I'm like, okay, boss, we're on the job. Zoltan does some magic spell stuff, and a portal opens, and it's, it's like a swirling gray fog with black. Um, so imagine if, like, Black is black, right? Black doesn't have a color. But imagine if you could see black move. Almost like black and gray liquid. And it's kind of just like wafting. It's not circles, but it's like just wafting. And this portal opens, and they're like, Okay, well, we don't really trust it. What else are we going to do? And they all start to go through. Shadows last. And as he goes through, he turns, and he says, If you're lying to us, I'm going to find a way to kill you. And Zoltan just smiles and said, I would expect nothing less. Shadow with a little nod walks through. The portal closes. As Zoltan goes, well, the game has begun again. And that's the story for tonight. We've been running for about an hour and 40 minutes at this point, and I think that's going to be a pretty good place to call this a day. Uh, because I don't want to jump into the next section, because there's a lot involved with it. Um, But I thought I would take a few minutes at the end to see if anybody had any questions about the first episode or this episode. Uh, If you have any questions, you'd like me to go into more detail on anything, something you'd like to know about a specific character or their class, if something D&D style or just story-wise, I would be happy to take a few minutes and see if anybody has any questions. I would love to answer them for you. Um, I'm going to try to do this at the end of each episode, give you guys a chance to... Throw it if you have anything. Now, if you're watching this later, not live, throw them down in the comments as well, and I'll do my best to try to answer them as best I can. Although, again, if I answer kind of vague, it may be because I don't want to give away something in the upcoming story. But I'll do my best to answer if I can. Uh, So just take a couple minutes there and think amongst yourselves. I do appreciate everybody who's come by today, uh, who's watched the video, people clicking likes, my new member. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate everybody who's been kind of hanging out with us. Uh, it means a lot that you guys have kind of fallen along with me in this adventure. Uh, for those of you who are watching it later, uh, I definitely hope you're enjoying it as much as I'm enjoying telling it for everyone. Um, it'd be great, again, to continue this. I'm going to do it every other week, uh, at least until the story's done. I mean, this could take six months or more, <laughs> depending. Uh, but if it gets really, really popular and a lot of people, I, I may even try to do it a little bit more often than once every other week. So maybe once a week if, if, if enough people are interested. So, yeah. Um, Again, uh, throw it out there, Any if you have any questions about this, and like I said, you're watching this later, throw them down in the comments. I do have all my notifications on, so I try to answer them as, as quickly as I can. When I'm at work, it's a little hard sometimes, uh, but I, I, I do keep everything. Um, I have all the apps on my phone that let me get those as quick as possible. Um, also. Um, if you are interested, we do have uh, the ODG memberships. If you join up the memberships, you do get access to the um, Only Draven Gaming Discord for members only. Um, in there, you can definitely chat with other members about things like Minecraft. I'm going to have a forum specifically for the D&D stuff. Um, so if you have questions or ideas, or you want a little bit more information, you'd like to see the extra pictures throughout the week, or hey, what would this person look like? I can throw those in in real time. Uh, I can get your answers back as quickly as I can. So uh, just one of the many perks that comes with the ODG membership. Uh, definitely consider that if it's something you'd like to have access to. Alrighty. So, alright, I guess at this point then I'm going to call it. I don't see anything that's come through, so we're going to call it at that. Again, thank you everybody so much for coming by and watching this, uh, and everybody who's been clicking like, and everybody who's been subscribing and and sticking with the channel. Uh, It means a lot to me that you guys are interested in this story, at least seems you're interested in the story, hopefully as much as I am. Um, but it's been a, something that's been a big, important part of my life for a very long time, and I'm excited to finally get to share it with everyone. So, um, that being said, I think we're going to go ahead and call this a stream. I will be back on tomorrow night. We're going to be streaming some Minecraft again. So, if you're into Minecraft, uh, watch for that. That'll be 8... 9 p.m. Eastern. That's when I normally jump on those. Uh, you can also go to OnlyDraven.com to see my full streaming schedule, information about Merge World. I'm going to be putting new, new stuff on there as well. Um, as well as different information to all my socials as well. Uh, but I'm going to call that a day. Thank you, everyone, for coming in. Thank you to all my members. And uh, we'll see you later. You guys have a great day.